importantly, it's it's what it's it's the spiritual value that Jesus is giving in this parable that's so important to us. Um, this the this young man, the lawyer, he was quite able to answer the Lord and to quote what the law said, because in verse twenty-seven we read, and he answering said. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbour as yourself. So he quoted uh, the law quite, uh, you know, properly and uh, knew it quite well. But Jesus then not only asked him what the law said, he asked him how he read it. He asked him how he interpreted it. He knew that the man knew exactly how to quote scripture, but how did the man have this law, have this scripture in his heart? How did he actually read the words himself? Um, he could say that he answered in the right way. Um, after all, this, this person was an expert in the law, so you can say he's quite intelligent, so he'd know exactly you know, what the word of God was saying. But here, Jesus is more concerned as to how much he had actually applied this law to himself. You see, it's one thing to quote uh, the law, but how far had the lawyer gone to actually do it? How readest thou Jesus dead? This, this, really, this part of the question really lays bare the man's heart. And it really lays bare our hearts too, because we, you know, you're not, I know many people who can quote scripture amazingly, and I'm thinking, how can they remember that? You know, I try so hard to remember scripture, but it's really applying what you're reading spiritually to your heart and not just to your mind, and that's most important. Uh, how true it is that's, you know, that scripture can be quoted exactly, but yet people miss the true meaning of what God is saying to them. But you see, the question is not, not supposed to be just in our minds. It needs to be deep in our hearts. Um, the Bible itself is not just a, a mental exercise that we do. It needs to be a rule for our lives. Uh, the fact is, the Lord knew very well exactly what was being written, but the, uh, what the law said about obtaining life. And uh, yet it's still coming to Jesus and asking, what he must do to obtain it. This, uh, this shows he realised he had not been able to do really what the law had required for him. A better question would have been for him to say, how do I keep all these things in my heart, you know, to love that my God and keep me in my heart and my soul and my strength and my mind? You know, how do I do all that? Because it's, it's hard for us to really live a perfect Christian life with God 100% within our lives. Yeah, but even then, he asked the second most amazing question, well, the most important question a person could really ask, you know, is how do I receive eternal life? And this is a question that everybody, even an unsaved person, should be really asking. Instead of making any kind of excuses, you should be asking the important question, Lord, how do I enter into the wonderful place, the kingdom of God? You see, we may know the Ten Commandments, what they say and how they're revealed, but we have to really 
we realize how hopeless it is to really keep them all and how it, uh, difficult it is to, by those Ten Commandments, seek the blessings on the basis of just trying to keep those Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments are really there to reveal how sinful we really are because we know we can't keep them. You know, we fall short on even part of a commandment or one commandment. We fail on all the commandments. And that's God's way of showing us that how far we are from him and the perfect way that we should be. What the law shows us, we are lost. We are hopeless. Our condition is in that way before our righteous, holy God. You know, um, Paul quotes in Romans uh, 7 and verse 10, and the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. You see, Paul was very honest in what he used to say, to, he said to us in his word. Even in verse 18 of Romans 7, he said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. And then he concludes also in the matter, he concludes the matter in uh, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul could not find with himself, within himself a remedy to his hopeless and terrible condition that he was in. But then he looks away. And to the one place, person he needs to look at, he looked upon Jesus Christ and he found his way. And he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So it is, it's not a matter of what shall I do, what can I do, but rather it's all about what Christ has really done for us. You know, but here, sadly, the lawyer really persists in his attempt to avoid the real issue. He does not speak of the first part of the Lord that he called you, that has to do with God. No doubt he must have realized how, how far and, you know, how he fell so short of this. But he really takes up the second part of the question and asks, who is my neighbor, you know, our relationship with God is really an inward one, and that and that relationship only God knows with us. But our relation with those around us, this can be seen. It can be seen by others, and this is what was paramount in this man's thoughts. He was thinking, who is my neighbour? How are people perceiving me? How are people seeing me in this? You know, how searching these, you know, these things really are, uh, we need to ask ourselves whether we are more concerned about what others think of us uh, than what we are before God. One thing you realise as a Christian is, that I've realised, is you can't please anybody, everybody. You know, sometimes you do the most wonderful things and you try your best, in it. But you really can't please everybody all the time. It's, it's, it's just the way life is, really. But we, we need to be always trying to please our holy God. And if you can do that, you're on that right way. You're in the right path. In verse 29, he says, But he wanting to justify himself, said unto Jesus, 
and who is my neighbor? You know, it's good that Jesus said neighbor and he never just said brother. You know, it's easy to live, you know, love somebody close to you who's brotherly love or a Christian brother or sister. But he said neighbor, it's those people who are near to you, who are around you. So, you know, and the word of God is just so perfect in all its way. Uh, Jesus quotes everything. So he just says neighbor. Probably this man, he was quite willing to consider men like himself. Um, yeah. But to be a neighbor, it could be anyone really. It could be anyone you meet throughout the day. Verse 30 says, and this is Jesus now answering the man. Uh, and he goes on to the parable. He says, um, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. We really need to understand what the Lord is teaching us by giving this parable. This man that Jesus is talking about, who's stripped of his raiment and robbed, you know, it's almost like he was going the wrong way. You know, it seems like he may have turned his back on God's things, or maybe he had, he had been, you know, like many people have turned their back on God and thinking they can do their, everything in their own way. Or was it somebody who'd just been to the temple and, you know, going down this dangerous road? Because this road is meant to be dangerous. And uh, people always say that if you go down this road towards Jericho, you need to go with other people, never just travel alone. But don't you see many people these days trying to do things in their own strength, in their own way, you know, and they're always uh, thinking they can achieve everything without God and just walking away from God. And it's a real picture for us that of a man, you know, or a person. Uh, more, in, more really, even though we, you know, we need to think of you as a human being, just walking away from God, you know. Um, the temple and the service of God were at Jerusalem, we know, and it was, that was the place where Jehovah has set his, his name. But this man was going down, you know, the emphasis that Jesus gives that this man was going down, you know, to the city. And um, Jericho, actually, the city Jesus mentions that he's going towards, was actually under a curse from, you know, as we realize from the Old Testament. Because after the children of Israel had, Israel had destroyed Jericho, uh, in Joshua, we read in Joshua chapter 6, Joshua puts a curse on rebuilding of, the rebuilding of that place. Uh, Joshua 6 and verse 26 reads, And Joshua adjourned them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that rises up and buildeth the city of Jericho. And this is where you realize how important it is to know the Old Testament and also to, as the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament and the Old Testament revealed in the New Testament, it's unique the whole Bible. I remember when I just had the NIV when I first became a Christian. And it's only afterwards I realized that's the Old Testament. I thought, wow, the Bible is bigger than I thought. But, you know, the Lord helps us to put it all together, you know, better than a jigsaw. He just helps us with all the mysteries within it. So we realized that there was a curse put on this uh, city from the old right. And so we see that this man was not really, maybe not seeking after God, but rather he was going his own way. 
but like we said, how many people are doing that today? You know, just doing things in their own way, finding their own path in life, and sadly suffering the same kind of consequences. You see, there's safety and there's security in God's city, in God's kingdom. But this man puts himself beyond it. So he, what happens? He falls victim to thieves. They rob him of everything he had, wounding him to the extent that he was at the point of death. You know, this is a real picture of what sin has done to every one of us. This is what sin does. When you read uh, Romans uh, 1, which really paints a terrible picture of our hopeless condition due to our going our own ways uh, and falling into the ravages of what sin can do to us, uh, our bodies are affected, our hearts desires things that are sinful in the sight of God. They never satisfy. Our minds become so distorted uh, we cannot discern between right and wrong. And sadly, we are powerless to the remedy of, uh, of our own situation. This man had been stripped and left naked, a condition that exposed his sin for all to see. His life is slipping away, only death before him. How many people uh, have considered that without Christ, they are in this awful state before God. We realize that ourselves as Christians, are, I mean, you know, our sinful condition before we came to Christ, before we knew Christ, I had no idea of the state of my heart and the ugliness of my heart and the, you know, the terrible nakedness of myself. It was only when you come to Christ that you realize what well, he saved us from this terrible, terrible place. If you... If you if you got a, if you like this man have left God or uh, left God out of your own life and are going your own way, uh, you know you one thing's for sure: Satan will lead you into that path, into that sinful place, and at the end of that road, you know, is ruin and death, and there's definitely no hope of salvation. And sadly, uh, you know, you see so many people uh, around your own circle of life that are are treading upon that same road, going down that same uh, place. And um, you know there's going to be difficulty for them. You know they're going to uh, have to face up to the consequences of their sinful ways. And you tell them about Jesus and they say, no, no, no. Or maybe they say, not today, but tomorrow. But they just don't know what every, every moment of life will hold for them. You know, it's a life without God is so dangerous without Christ. But the Lord Jesus continues his story here in, by verse 21 and 32, where he says, uh, where it says, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, as Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. So we realize there's four people in this story. We have the man who was robbed himself, uh, close to death. And then we also have a priest and we have a Levite. And then we have also later on, we have the Good Samaritan. Uh, you know, I believe that the Lord includes these two men, the priest and the Levite in this story, with their sad attitude to this poor man 
so that the lawyer might recognize here something about himself in these men. Uh, I mean, the priest and the Levite both had high positions in the law of Moses. Quite simply, the priest had a privilege of taking from the people their offerings and presenting them in the ordered way to God. And the one thing you have to realize is this priest was also coming from Jerusalem. Now, those priests really had normally had uh, two weeks of ordination in the temple of God where they carried out their duties uh, and their, their religious acts in the way they needed for two weeks. And you'd think that this person just coming from the place of God uh, would have had this wonderful godly attitude and would have been filled with the, God, with the presence of God within him. And, you know, he, w- he, w- he wouldn't have just walked by on the other side that, you know, he would have just wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And sadly, you see people going to church on a Sunday sometimes and uh, uh, you realise they've come to church and, you know, they've carried out the religious duties for the day. And then six days, they kind of do things in their own way. And you ask the question sometimes, uh, are they truly saved or, you know, are they living the Christ life within them? And uh, we see this really in this priest after two weeks of spending time with God. He doesn't act the part of uh, having that wonderful presence of the Lord within him. And that the Levite, it was the job of the Levite to really teach the people what the law required of them in their daily lives. Now, the lawyer here would have been acquainted with all this, uh, that these two men in the, in the story that the Lord is telling him, Uh, could do nothing, but the two men could do nothing for the poor man. They should have spoken, uh, this should have spoken to the lawyer loudly within his heart, what these two men had done. But really there's more in it than this. What had the poor man that he could give to the priest to offer to God? What had this poor man got that he could offer to God or to this priest? He had lost everything if we think of him as the one who has turned his back on god uh, as god in the center of his life and uh, this course of action has resulted in his ruin and he he's, he's really destitute here likewise what could the levite teach to a man that is half dead he was unable to do anything that the lord that the law would require of him We're not told whether these two men felt sorry for the man, but in any case, they could not, in their capacity uh, of priest or Levites, really, they couldn't do anything in themselves to help him. But they both passed by on the other other side. And uh, it's not why they're doing it or, you know, the reason they did that. It's just that the fact that why didn't they stop? Why did they just continue on their journey? You know, why couldn't they just stop and just see what this man needed, especially in the religious uh, place they were both in? We can almost say, you know, the priest and religion won't save a person. Levites and doing uh, good works and, um, you know, sacrifices won't save you. And we know that to be true. It's only Christ who saves you. And that's the most important message we have. Uh, you know, we might try to think how the man may have felt if he was conscious 
you know, he was unconscious that we can believe. But if he was conscious, if he'd have seen these two pass by on the other side, leaving him in this hopeless uh, and terrible condition, but what, what would he think? You know, a priest passing by and a Levite. You can understand other people passing by and uh, not wanting to get involved, but a priest and a Levite, you know, you would have thought they would have stopped. But we all, we all have to come to this sad realisation that without Christ, there is nothing in our lives that we can bring to God. Without Christ, there is nothing in our lives that we can bring to God. When we come to verse 23, uh, we come to the verse, we, we come to one of the many buts of scripture. Here we read of one who was so different to the priest and the Levite, a Samaritan. And the Samaritans, we know, uh, there was great prejudice against them and racial hatred uh, between the Jews and the Samaritans. So, you know, maybe, you know, the Lord Jesus put the message in there for us today. You know, have, have we got prejudices in our hearts or, you know, some kind of uh, that, something that distances us from people for certain reasons? But, you know, one thing Jesus does is break down all prejudices in the Bible. But a certain man, this is verse 33, but a certain man, Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. It says of this Samaritan that he was on a journey. This Samaritan really had a definite purpose. He knew where he was going. He was going that way uh, deliberately. This was not said of the priest or the Levite. Also that he came where he was and finally that he had compassion on him. He came where he was and finally that he had compassion on him. This is a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was one who, had, who left heaven's highest glory and came down into this world in order to take that wonderful journey which ended in his going to the cross of Calvary. What a journey Jesus took. He came down to right where we are. We were in all our sins and in all our misery, though he himself was sinless. And he did this because of his compassion to touch his people as we are sinful men. Jesus took that journey. So it was no mere chance that uh, that he happened to be going that way, this Samaritan. He's, Jesus, the same, saw us in our hopeless condition and his love led him to come down in order to bring the love and kindness of God into a scene that had been ruined by sin. That's what Jesus has done for us. Then by his death, he would supply everything to remedy our sinful condition. You know, in fact, the Samaritan should have spoken to the lawyer's conscience here. The Jews, we know, despise the Samaritans. We just need to remember the words of Jesus, uh, the Jews to the Lord Jesus in John 8:48, where the Jews said, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan, they were addressing Jesus here, and hast a devil. 
You know, this was insulting language, but the Lord Jesus accepted the rejection and hatred of the Jews. It was all part of that journey that he took to bring the grace of God to us. Luke uses the word compassion here three times in the gospel. Uh, You know, it's a very strong word, compassion. It tells how deeply moved was a Samaritan by the hopeless condition of the poor man. It reminds us of the wonderful love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, You know, you just need to think of that occasion in in Luke chapter 7, when Jesus saw the widow of Nain. Uh, She was about to bury her only son, the one and only son she had, had died, and she was about to bury him. And, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion upon her and said unto her, weep not. Not only did his heart enter fully into that deep, into the deep sorrow, but his hand was able to remedy her sorrow. Again, Luke uses this wonderful word to describe the father's feeling when he saw his returning wayward son in that wonderful parable that we all know very well, the parable of the prodigal son. Luke 15 and verse 20 reads, But when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That wonderful word again, that Jesus uh, is full of compassion. You know, in that, one, in that parable of the prodigal son, we, we know despite all that the son had done, the father's heart was moved uh, by the by the filthy condition that his son had got himself into, the father could not wait for the son to get to the house, but ran to meet him. He ran to meet his son, even in the diff- in the terrible state that he was in, uh, before the son even had time to uh, say any words of repentance. The father ran to him and embraced him. What a wonderful. Um, uh, definition of compassion that is that God gives us when you think of this poor man lying half dead on the roadside uh, you're kind of reminded of those beautiful words that the apostle Paul gives us in Romans 5 and 6 verse 6 for when we were yet without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly it's not because of any righteousness or goodness in us that the Lord Jesus gave himself for us. Uh, um, But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here, verse 34 continues uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan and uh, reads, And he went to him and bound his wounds, pouring in oil, and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an end, and took care of him. The Samaritan had with him everything that this poor man needed. Having experienced the painful treatment of the thieves, how the man here must have appreciated this wonderful tender care of the Samaritan, 
and the healing and soothing power of that oil that was poured upon him and the wine for the wounds that the wine that was given to him that he had re he received you know he must have just been overwhelmed by seeing all this wonderful person was doing for him when we realize the sorrow and often the pain that sin has caused in our own lives how sweet it is to know of god's love that gave jesus to die for us jesus he had to take the punishment that was rightly should have been ours really you know again uh, here we read of the words of the apostle peter in 1 peter 2:24 where it reads who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live into the right unto righteousness by whose stripes we were healed you know like this poor man we need someone to take care of us we had once gone our own way doing our own thing you know had been in our own ruin by it. but jesus came to be with us and pour uh, anointing oil upon us and jesus came to give us that wine uh, proverbs 16 verse 25 reads there is a way that seemeth right unto a man but the end thereof are the ways of death here the samaritan picked up this poor man and put him on his own beast the samaritan was quite prepared to walk himself but he took care of this injured person unto uh, but he took care of this person how far do we do we know that the samaritan how far do we know that the samaritan actually walked with this man but we do know one thing even though we don't know the distance the per, the samaritan brought him all the way to safety jesus brings us all the way to safety once we come to the lord jesus our savior we are then forever in the hands of the one who knows of our every need and can supply our every need he takes the man to an inn and takes care of him we remember when the lord jesus himself was born when he came into this world that he created we read in luke chapter 2 and verse 7 there was no room for them in the inn you know there's no no there's no there was no place in this world for jesus to be cared for when he was born but it's true today the world does not care for souls but we are thankful of that that has been what has been provided by the mercy of our loving god to care for our bodily needs but only christ can care for our souls only he can deal with what sin has done only he can break the power of death and this has this he has done by his work upon the cross there is a place where we can he can take us to be cared for you know here I, th i believe the picture of the inn is a picture of the house of god of a of a place which every believer needs to you know forms a part of it is in the company of other believers that we can find our help 
We need to walk the Christian pathway until Jesus comes and gain. You know, there are those to whom the Lord Jesus had committed the care of, of souls. We read in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give account. The Samaritan had to leave, but he gave strict instruction for the man's care until he comes again. He gave two denarii, we read in the King James Version, and two denarii are equivalent to like two days' wages. And uh, we read in uh, verse 35 of Luke 10, And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two denarii, pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. The Lord Jesus has gone back to heaven, but he also has assured us that he will come again, as we know and read in John chapter 14 and 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Where I am, there you may be also. Just as the Samaritan said here, until I come again, Jesus said to us, I too will come again. And this is a great promise and this great hope and this foundation of you know, truth that we have, that Jesus will come again. But in the meantime, he's taking care. He's caring for uh, us every day of our lives. Those who take up the work of looking after our precious souls for Christ receive a great reward. And that's the wonderfulness of the church and the Christian love that people you know, show. And you've, we've all got somebody in our lives that we can say, well, what a mentor that person has been to me. What a way of looking at another person's Christian's life and thinking, that, you know, I want to walk in the way that person walked. Because you just see the goodness of God and the goodness of Jesus in their lives that they've portrayed to you and other people. Hear how the poor man would think constantly of those words, when I come again, this man now in the care of this innkeeper and in a, in a, in probably in a comfortable bed would be thinking of those wonderful words that the Samaritan spoke, when I come again. He would be ever watching and waiting for that moment. You know, so should we be doing likewise, watching and waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord Jesus turns to the self-righteous lawyer again here and he asks him the question. In verse 36 we read, Jesus says, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbour unto this man, unto him, that fell among the thieves? You know, this was a simple question. And the lawyer really had no difficulty answering it correctly. And he said, he that showed mercy unto him. So we, we realise here that the lawyer had answered his own question by saying, the one who showed mercy unto him, he is my neighbour. Uh, 
Uh, sorry, he's saying to he answered his own question of who is my neighbor by saying he who showed mercy unto him. But really, the Lord Jesus Christ, um, Lord Jesus did not leave it just there. Then said Jesus unto him, Go thou and do likewise. You see, the parable is not only a picture of how the Lord Jesus came down from heaven's glory to where we were in our sin and our misery uh, and, and in order to lift us out of that condition. It also shows us that anyone that needs mercy, anyone that needs care, we should treat as our neighbour. And so, in concluding, may we too pay attention to what the Lord's words were and go and do likewise. Amen. Thank you.